Nothing will ever be okay again. I know. That flash, the flash from Earth 90, he looked just like my dad, Henry Allen. He was a resilient man. He spent years in prison for the murder of my mom, a crime one of my enemies committed and framed for. Through all that, he never lost his life. Times like this, I try and do the same. My father, uh, Alvin Pierce, he was a good man too, reporter. Spent his life giving a voice to the voiceless. He was murdered when I was 12. But I still carry the lessons he taught me to this day. I passed him along to my girl. To the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I am half of your co-host, Perry Constantine. And I am the other half, Derek Ferguson, coming from coming to you from the center of the universe, Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> we had our Brooklyn episode uh, last time. You're still trying to horn in on it, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> of course. I'm always going to give Brooklyn props. You but speaking that. of that, you know, because we talked about Captain America last week or, you know, two weeks ago in the last episode. And now uh, you just posted something in the in the group about um, – something related to that in Brooklyn. Yeah, the Captain America statue. Okay, so uh, I, I saw this, um, you know, friend of our, Sean Ali, he posted it on Facebook. So what is this? It's at a Bed Bath & Beyond? Yeah, this statue was made... Um, actually, this statue has been around for a while um, because it was right down the street from me at the Barclays Center Stadium in uh, the summer of 2016. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was in Prospect Park. It's been moving around Brooklyn to various locations <laughs> oh, okay. ever since, I mean, you know, for a while. And um, I had no idea that it was in this, um, it's like this whole complex called Industry City that's okay. not too far from me. It's about like... About like a twenty minute drive. Mm-hmm. Not even that for not even for about like ten minutes. But I did not know that the statue was there. You know, the Captain America statue. I had seen it before back in 2016 mm-hmm. when it was at Barclays. And like you said, Shawnee Ali, he posted on there and said, Oh, well, it's a bed bath and beyond. And the weird thing is that Sean lives in California. <laughs> yeah. 
And he knew about it, and I didn't know about it in Brooklyn. So, of course, I had to go see the Captain America statue again. And I took a whole bunch of pictures. And for all of you that are listening to this, if you go to our Facebook group, Superhero Cinephiles, mm-hmm. you will see the pictures that I have up there of the Captain America statue. Yeah, and the, the inscription on the statue, I'm reading it now, uh, the quote from... Uh, First Avenger, which we used as the title of our last episode, I'm Just a Kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. And uh, Hometown Pride, established 1941. And they also got a, you know, a nod to Jack Kirby and Joe Simon there saying that he he created by by them. Yeah, there's a plaque that's on the uh, side, Mm -hmm. which... Again, I took a. I made sure I took a picture of that, folks. And if you go to our Facebook group, you will see that picture on there. That Captain America created by uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. And yeah, on the front, it's got that. It's got that iconic quote. The funny thing is, is that originally when Captain America was created, he came from Manhattan. He didn't come from Brooklyn. That's like a, you know, like a reboot slash revisionist type of uh, thing, which, hey, I have no problem from. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with Captain America. (laughs) Trust me. I have no problem with any superhero coming Uh, coming from Do you know if it was the movie that did that or if it was done in the comics before that? You mean the thing with him coming from Brooklyn? Yeah. As far as I know, that was the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's because a- the Captain America that I, as far as I know, and every other thing, he, remember, he came from Hell's Kitchen. Oh, okay. He, he grew up, yeah, the comic books, yeah, he came from Hell's Kitchen, just like Daredevil. Oh, okay. You know, they grew up in the same neighborhood, as far as I know, yeah. That's interesting. I wonder so why they was- decided to change it. Yeah, so that was something that, uh, as as far as I know, like I said, and I always invite you guys to listen to this. Please, if I'm wrong, correct me. Mm-hmm. But as far as I know, that's something that they did, yeah, just for the movie. Okay. Okay, good. So um, how are you doing otherwise today? Otherwise, I'm doing fine. As, um, you know, I, I was in Manhattan earlier, which was always a nightmare for me. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting ready because I'm um, going to let you and the good folks listening to this in on something I don't usually tout. But next week is going to be my birthday next weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saturday is my birthday, and uh, I'm going. I'm going to go see the um, what is it? The Birds of Prey movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it opens here in New York on uh, Friday the seventh. My birthday is the eighth. Okay. So I'm I, I'm I'm thinking about calling Tom DJ if he's mm-hmm. listening to this. He's probably because I've been calling him the last couple of days, mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to get in touch with me. And we've been playing like kind of phone tag. Yeah, where he calls me, but you know, and I hear the message on my answering machine. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm planning on going and seeing that uh, Friday. Okay, are you looking forward <laughs> to it? Um, you know what? In a way, I am because I'm one of the few people that, that like Suicide Squad. Okay, I mean, I, I liked, asked- I liked her in Suicide Squad, Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like her in anything. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, yeah. Even in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which she had, like, nothing really to do, but she was still good in what she did. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Okay, there was a whole big thing made about her playing Sharon Tate mm-hmm. in that movie, and like you said, even though I love the movie, she really didn't have that much to do. No. You know, and so, she was also in um, uh, what was it, uh, Legend of Tarzan, which she was really good in that. 
and um, what was that movie she made with Leonardo? Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that yet. Actually, the oh, run, she, the runtime kept me out, kept, uh, kept me away from it. That was the movie that kind of put her on the map. Okay. Yeah, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. See, it it doesn't come out here until March twentieth. Um. So, and I, I don't know. I'm. It 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 looks entertaining, and it's gotten good reviews. But I, I just I'm still puzzled as to why they're forcing Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey together. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of that kind of puzzles me too, because I said, well, why not just do a Harley Quinn movie? Yeah, if you you know if you really want to do Harley Quinn, well, yeah, why not just do Harley Quinn and just get it over with? You know, and uh, at, at one point, like when this was first being talked about, they were actually going to call it Gotham City Sirens, which I think would have been much better. Yeah, would have been a much better yeah, because fit. this is not because. Even though they call it Birds of Prey, from the um, just from the few pictures that I've seen and from the trailers I've seen, the uh, this incarnation of Huntress and Black Canary or whatever is mm-hmm. apparently like nothing we've never seen before. Yeah, same thing with um, Cassandra Cain, uh, you know, one time yeah, Batgirl. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. I'm. But it, it's it's got it's getting a good bunch of good reviews. Uh, so well, well, I'm gonna go see it next Friday, and I will be sure to let y'all guys know how it was. I will probably write a review of it, and I will probably talk about it here. So we will see. Okay, cool. There was something I wanted to mention too. Something I had seen recently, but for the life, and I was actually thinking about it like all week. I'm like, oh, I got to remember to talk about that on the show, and I just completely forgot now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, today we're talking about, um, so last year Marvel had their big crossover event movie in, um, Endgame, Avengers Endgame. And then at the end of the year, DC said, well, we're going to do something similar. And they did Crisis on Infinite Earths with their TV properties. And, uh, that's going to be what we're talking about today. Yep. So... Uh, well, first, no, go ahead. what was your, I mean, did you read Crisis when it was coming out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, I read Crisis on a month-to-month basis because I read the individual comics as they came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a revelation because, of course, I had grown up with this, you know, thing with, uh, I mean, you know, um, the, you know, I had no problem with the whole thing with the DC and their multiverse, and it was something that I grew up with. Right. I mean, you know, basically. So the concept of the multiverse was something, even though actually, to be honest, I did not um, become acquainted with the concept of a multiverse through DC Comics. I became acquainted with it through Michael Moorcock. Okay. In his. Um, because, you know, Michael Moorcock had this concept of the eternal champion. Mm-hmm. That it was one character that was doomed and faded all throughout the multiverse to become different heroes and to fight to preserve the balance between order and chaos. Mm-hmm. And everybody is acquainted, of course, with Elric of Melmo. 
but then there were other characters like Dorian Hawkmoon and uh, Ulrich and John Dakar, and it was a whole. Basically, all of Michael Moorcock's heroes are the same guy. Okay, is the eternal champion, and on different Earths, they fight to preserve the balance between order and chaos. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with the concept of a multiple, which actually. Um, when I started writing my own characters and everything like that, it it only made sense for me to put them all in the same universe. Right. Because I was familiar with the concept of, well, why have, you know, different universes for, you know, just make them all on the same earth. So the whole concept of DC with all these different Earths with all these different characters and different iterations of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman or whatever, it wasn't foreign to me. And to wrap up this whole big ball of wax, when they finally said, you know what, we're going to blow up the whole thing and just demolish the multiverse and just make it one earth and call it crisis on infinite earth it was a revelation mm-hmm. like most things are when they first happen of course now dc has diluted the concept because every time you turn around it's another crisis yeah <laughs> but but back then when i mean there were lines around the block at my local comic book store to get the latest issue every month mm-hmm. of, of Crisis on and I'm talking about the original one, folks. The original Crisis on Infinite Earths with Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Yeah, yeah. People, where he drew people lined up around the block to get the new. As a matter of fact, people who hadn't read comic books in years, they they went back and they read Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, and you know that that book. I mean, you know, the writing's one thing. It's you know, it's a great story, but. You want to see how skilled of an artist, what a workman like George Perez is. He drew every single character DC had ever published in that thing. And, and I mean, a, there was there and there were some pages like there were. It's hard to find a page in that in that book where you don't have a panel with like at least a dozen characters in it. And here's the genius about George Perez. He will draw two characters standing side by side. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this. Let's say he draws <clears throat> Captain America and Hawkeye standing side by side, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hawkeye's a little bit taller. And if you notice, George Perez will always draw him with his torso and arms, more musc- actually more muscular than Captain America's. Because mm-hmm. he's got to pull that bow. Yeah. Captain America is built more like an athlete. He has a, he's muscular, but he's like more athletic, right? Looking than Hawkeye, whose whose arms is like. And you say okay, and that's what George Perez. He will draw a dozen different characters standing side by side, and they all have different body types mm-hmm. according to this superpower. Yeah, not just uh, not just differentiating them by costume, but by facial appearance, yeah. by body type. Right. The, the yeah, guy's a master. Body. Oh, it, I mean. I mean, just seeing the panorama of characters that he drew in Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, it, folks, I can't imagine anybody who's listening to this who hasn't read it. But mm. if you haven't, then what you need to do is invest some money and go on Amazon and go ahead and get it. And don't get it for the electronic thing. You know, get the full-size book mm-hmm. just so you can savor the artwork. Yeah. I mean, I do have the electronic version, but <laughs> but I did. Well, um, 
So, uh, well, before I get into my my crisis story, what was it like for you, you know, growing up with the multiverse and then having it taken away? Like, how, what were your feelings about that? Um. Okay, I thought it was a revelation, but I understood why they did it because uh-huh. it just got too big and too complex and too out of hand. Much like on the TV series that yeah. we're going to talk about, you know, but it just got too complicated and they felt, okay, well, you know what? We just have to streamline it and just cut away all the stuff that doesn't work and just make it a lot more simpler for people, which they did. Mm hmm. You know, until, like I said, then they went back because now nobody understands DC continuity. They don't. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it was confusing for me even before that, because even before um, Infinite Crisis and all that stuff, they were they were still playing around with it because there was because. okay, so John Byrne wanted to reboot Superman and Wonder Woman and he wanted to do new origin stories for them and all that. Um, But then you also had. Uh, you know, Batman writers, Green Lantern, Flash, you know, Teen Titans, all those guys, they wanted to keep with the continuity. So there was lots, it's, it was a total mess because Batman's continuity is all still in place. Green Lantern, the Flash, the Teen Titans, all their continuity is still in place. And then here comes Superman and he's starting off from ground zero. And somehow this all has to kind of fit together. And it it's caused so many ripples and so much confusion that it's it's hard to determine what is and is not in continuity anymore. Yeah, because you know why? Because nobody wants to work together mm-hmm. to build a continent. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Right. See back in the old see back in the old days when it was the sixties and seventies, yeah, I know people say, oh hey from Derek what is oh back in the good old days thing. <laughs> but there is something to say for people that all work together mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, we're working in one continuity. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to nobody wants to do that anymore. <clears throat> everybody wants to <clears throat> excuse me. Everybody wants to, okay, well, I want to do my version of Superman or I want to do that's why you get everybody rebooting everything and everything and every comic book series starts with a number one every couple of years. Uh-huh. Because nobody wants to build on what went before they want to do their their own version another reason too with just the the number ones too that's usually um that's usually just comes down to the marketing department because number one issues sell more than anything else so so that's why they roll out a new number one every sometimes even in the same year they've done it Mm. um but but yeah and it, it became a real it became really confusing and because i didn't really start reading comics until the like start reading them regularly and start collecting until the late nineties. And that was around the time when, um, DC was starting to incorporate a lot more stuff from the pre-crisis universe. Like Superman became stronger. He started having a lot, lot, his power level was more like pre-crisis starting to creep more into the levels it was in pre-crisis. And then you had a lot of writers who were coming into DC who grew up with the multiverse like you and, and they missed it and they wanted to bring it back. So you had guys like Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, uh, Grant Morrison. So 
they eventually get together and they decide we're going to bring back the multiverse. But then a few years later, they decided, nope, we're going to reboot everything again with the new 52. And then it, but still you had that same confusion because you had guys like, um, Grant Morrison was rebooting Superman and Jeff Johns was, um, rebooting Aquaman. But at the same time, you get Scott Snyder, and he's basically like, oh, no, all the Batman history is still there. He's like, I'm writing Batman as if all that history is in place. I'm not rebooting him from nothing. So it's it's caused a... It's even still, they, they got rid of... They brought back the multiverse. They got rid of the multiverse. They brought it back. They got rid of it. They brought it back. And it... DC continuity has just been a mess ever since the Silver Age, I think, because that's when they decided to introduce the multiverse concept because and i believe i could be wrong but what i think happened is you know because back in the day nobody really cared about continuity um yeah you'd have characters cross over and that but continuity was not really a big sticking point and then stan lee came along and jack kirby and they put all their characters in the same world and they had you know spider-man trying to audition to be part of the Fantastic Four. You had Captain America being brought out of ice by the Avengers. Um, Namor being found as a homeless amnesiac by the Human Torch, and, and so on and so forth. The Vision being built from the Human Torch's remains, and and all this stuff. And then DC said, well, you know what? We should probably do some have some of this continuity stuff, too. But they had problems because... Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, they were part of the Justice Society in World War II and the Golden Age Flash and Green Lantern, but now you had the the new Flash and Green Lantern around, and they were on the Justice League with them. So the question was, how can they make this work? So then they said, well, they're, they each live on different Earths. And then that's how basically how the multiverse was born. It was because DC wasn't really intended to be shared continuity in those days and they just kind of tried to fit it all together somehow and that that legacy has pretty much remained and that's why dc continuity has always been a lot harder to try and figure out than marvel yeah yeah i yeah i mean because as you so accurately pointed out it was something that i think that dc just fell into backwards Mm mm-hmm they said, okay, and then when they had the thing where, of course, we, we had the classic story where everybody agrees that it all started with the flash of two Earths. Right. You know, whereas, and it's something that they, that, that I think that starts out the way that a lot of things do. They say, hey, wouldn't this be a cool idea if mm-hmm. we just say there was a different Earth? Right. And then it just kept <clears throat> um, spiraling on from there. Well, it's because it's like everybody back in those days. You know, it was just like the old pulp books. Nobody expected these things to withstand the test of time. They were disposable entertainment. You buy a comic book for like a nickel, you read it, and then you you give it to your friend or you toss it out. Well, yeah, yeah. And and that's what I always throw out to people when they, you know, when they talk about, oh, how cheesy something is. Oh, man, that, oh, yeah, it's so cheesy and so corny. I said, yeah, well, they didn't expect that you would still be reading it 50 years from now. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, they thought you'd read it and, okay, people for a month or two would read it and then they would throw it out. Nobody expected people to still be reading um, a Spider-Man comic from 1966 now and trying to fit that comic into the continuity of today. Yeah, and it wasn't until, like, the... Not even... Even Stan Lee wasn't... Like in, in terms of series continuity, like he had, he had continuity, yeah, but it it was more like sitcom continuity, where each episode is the same characters and there are some elements that carry over, but for the most part, you jump in in any episode of Seinfeld or The Simpsons, you can watch it no problem. You don't need to know the past several years of episodes. Right. Well, but, well, you know what? Stanley took a lot of what he did, especially with Spider Man. Mm-hmm. He took that from soap operas. Right. Yeah. But then when you which had the was, which you had a new guard of writers come in, like in the in the seventies, like you know Claremont and all them, then they started doing the long subplot spanning issues, and continuity started to become much more important at that point. Right. Yeah. Because. That's what they knew. That's what they grew up with. Mm-hmm. When Stanley was writing Spider Man, um, th- um, one of the major things at that time was soap operas, which mm-hmm. I, you know, which I tell people. I said Spider Man is just a soap opera, especially when he was writing it like during the sixties, and he was going through the thing with his girlfriends mm-hmm. and with Aunt May and his job and everything like that. I said, I said, all that is soap opera stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, the the X-Men is basically passions, you know, that supernatural soap opera. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, but, and it's funny when you look at it, when you say, um, like, you know, uh, with these, because even Chris Claremont, he did a lot of soap opera stuff. Oh, absolutely. Because when he started writing, yeah, when he started writing the X-Men, soap operas were still kind of popular. Soap operas really haven't, didn't fall out of favor until, like, around the turn of the century. And, in fact, you know, all due respect to Stan Lee, but I would probably credit Claremont more with that shift in the industry um, to doing more of the soap opera, the long-spanning storylines. Because Stan's stuff tended to be, even with the soap opera elements, most of his stories tended to be self-contained. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, because, I mean, Claremont kept stuff going on for years and years and years. I mean, you know. Well, he had a, he had a trick, right? I remember seeing him in an uh, interview. He did a, there was a movie, a documentary about him called Chris Claremont's X-Men. And in this interview, he's talking about um, – he's, he's with his you know former editors, um, uh, Ann Nocenti and um, – uh, Louise Simonson. And they're talking about how Claremont's whole shtick was he would always introduce these little subplots, right? He'd introduce something and then he'd keep a note of it and then he'd go on to the rest of the story. And the reason he'd do that is because when he hit writer's block, all he had to do was he had to go pull out one of those subplots he introduced like 50 issues ago. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? That's a good trick that works. Yeah. And all of you writers that are listening to this, if you got a series that you're planning, you know, that's a good trick that you could take and that you can use, you know. Hey, it worked. However, but then it 
See, okay, but that's something that can okay that can also backfire on you because I remember reading an X Men and I would read in the letters page back when they still had letters page. Oh, they still people do. would remind people would remind Claremont of that shit. They would say, "Well, twenty <laughs> issues ago, you you know you had this in there. How come you haven't resolved it yet?" Oh my God, there's say, still stuff that hasn't been resolved. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why a lot of X-Men writers, they picked up on it after he left. And Mm. they said, okay. And then what would happen is that Claremont would come back and then he would rewrite and retcon all that stuff. Well, Mm. that's not really what happened. This is what really, you know. And again, like I said, you get writers that come in and we know the egos of writers. Yeah. They come in and then they're not happy with what somebody else does. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, no, no, no. I want to do my version of it, which mm-hmm. is, like I said, this is why we get all these different versions and iterations of Batman and Superman. Because everybody insists when they come on, well, I want to do my version. And I don't want to have to be bothered with what came on before. Even when we were writing fanfic, remember that there were some fanfiction sites that you couldn't write for them unless you agreed that you was going to pick up on the plot lines that the previous writer had done? Yeah. Yeah, and there were some people, and, and there were some people who would refuse to. Like they just would not, they just would not do it. They'd erase everything that came before. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, th- in exactly. some cases, they wouldn't even read what came before. They'd just say like, "No, well, I'm, I'm not. I'm just doing my own thing." There was some, yeah, there was some guy. They even refused to read. And no, I don't care. I just want to do my own thing. Which is why you had that thing that you had. Uh, what? Uh, I remember vividly at one time there was like a dozen different X-Men <laughs> fan fiction sites. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because <laughs> everybody wanted to do their version of the X-Men. And well, they the, didn't want to be bothered with what the other guy had did. They the just, thing no, that, I just The thing that never understood I never understood about that was because we were operating in a small niche, right? The whole tenet of it was it's shared continuity. We're all playing in the same sandbox. Yeah. So I, I yeah. never understood why if you just wanted to write your own X-Men story and you didn't want to worry about what other writers are doing, you know, why are you even bothering with this tiny little site anyway? Go over to fanfiction.net. Go to Wattpad. Post it there. Well, for me, a lot of times the challenge that I enjoyed was actually coming on after somebody else and seeing how I could make what they did work with what I wanted to do. Oh, you know, one of the reasons that my knowledge of Marvel and why I ended up being so well-read in Marvel uh, over the years was because I would see these empty titles and I'd want to go pick them up and look into what the what the past is. So I'd go back and I'd track down those issues, read them and, you know, familiarize with myself with them and then try my hand at writing the at writing the series. Yeah, but see, um, you were an exception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was some, there was some people that were a doozy, and I and I will never forget that there was some people that were writing fan fiction, and I would ask them, and I would say, "Well, how come you didn't write?" And they would say, "Well, I don't read what anybody else does." Yeah, which to me was a supremely arrogant attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as I was concerned, because. Well, I don't know. I I don't know. I guess it's because I just enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed reading what other people were doing. Yeah. And 
I didn't see anybody else as being a threat to me or a challenge to me. I honestly enjoyed reading a lot of other people's fan fiction stuff like you and Barry Reese mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, Russ Anderson and a bunch of other people. You know, I just read y'all guys just because I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. But I knew that there were some other people. I'm not going to mention the names on the air, but <laughs> there were some people that I talked to and they said, no, they didn't read anybody else. Well, why? Well, I don't read. You know, and they would say to me, well, why should I? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I know to leave you alone then. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, because me and you are not on the same, me and you are not on the same level. And exactly, they, yeah. You know, seriously, we are not on the same level. Mm-hmm. If you had that type of attitude, so. So, um, <laughs> so now talking about this series, like the, the DC CW or you know DC TVU or I don't even I don't like calling it the Arrowverse because it's grown grown so big beyond Arrow now, even though it, it started with Arrow, and like I remember when the the first season of the Flash right that um the end of the season finale when they had that reference to Jay Garrick and they had the the Golden Ages Flash's helmet show up and. I remember all of us were like, no way, they're actually going to do it. And it was, we all thought it was insane. We thought that was something that they would never do. Is We thought people weren't wouldn't buy into the concept of the multiverse, the TV viewers. Well, you know, okay. You know why I think we should call it the Arrowverse? Okay. Because if anybody had ever told you pr- previous to, you know, the whole CW thing going on. If anybody ever told you previous to that, that Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, would be the linchpin of the CW superhero universe, much in the same way that Tony Stark Iron Man was the linchpin of the MCU. Mm -hmm. You know, would you have believed it? No, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, so that's why I don't mind calling it the Arrowverse because, yes, and and I had a little problem with it in the beginning because, to me, it's like, okay, when Arrow first started, they strip-mined a lot of Batman stuff, frankly, oh, yeah. because to me, it was like, okay, well, I see what they're doing. They're trying to do another Batman show without it being Batman. Right, and, you know, Green Lantern, I mean, Green Arrow had some popularity he was known to tv viewers after being on smallville for like you know five years or whatever it was which again he was he was just a stand-in for batman right exactly he was standing for batman but over time they did turn green arrow into his own character Mm -hmm. and he wasn't just a batman clone right I mean, he's still he's still not the the Ollie I, I love from the comics, unfortunately. Yeah, well, okay, well, he's still he's still a lot of bat. There's a lot of okay. There's a lot of Batman DNA. Yeah. In the in the Arrowverse version of Oliver Queen. Yeah. But I do appreciate the fact that they did do a lot with the character. 
that I would never have expected. And I really respect the fact that they made him the linchpin. Like I said, if anybody told me that Tony Stark Iron Man would be the linchpin of the MCU, I said, really? I would have expected somebody like Captain America. Right. You know, that's the guy. You know, you wouldn't have expected Tony Stark, you know, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, but thanks to uh, not only the way he was written, but the acting talent of Robert Downey Jr. of all people. Yeah. You know, I mean, I honestly don't think it's going to be at least 20 years before we can have anybody else play Tony Storm Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Because we have... We have to have this generation die off. Yeah. <laughs> before they will accept it. Before they will accept anybody else. Yeah. As Tony Stark, Iron Man. Yeah. Seriously. But this you know, generation is going to die off. It, it, it's so. It's also so weird when you think about how Arrow started off and how it got to this point, because in the first season, Arrow was almost ashamed of being a superhero show. Right. Like, yeah. They wouldn't give him a name. He wouldn't wear a mask. It was just, he was just the vigilante. He was the hood. Yeah. He was the hood for like the first, what, three, four years? Yeah. Yeah. And it it wasn't until the second season, which, you know, I think not coincidentally was after Avengers came out, that then they decided, well, let's put in some more superhero stuff. And so then they brought in Black Canary. They brought in um, some more of the costume villains and that kind of thing. And and they brought in Arsenal, and then at and then the third season when the Flash premiere, then it was just like all bets are off, and they just kept on adding more and making it Britain and more and more embracing the idea of being a superhero show. But here's the thing, also that I liked about the CW shows, in that going back to what we were talking about the soap opera elements, they incorporated soap opera elements. And the teen drama elements mm-hmm. into their superhero shows, and it worked. It does. It does. Yeah. It worked. You know, people actually say, "Oh, okay." I mean, you know, because you know, I'm always, well, I'm I, always amazed when I see fans online talk bitching about that stuff, and I'm just like, "Well, I mean, the comics had that stuff too back in the day." Oh, listen. I grew up watching soap operas like All My Children and Edge Night and um, General Hospital and stuff like that. If you had put 50% of those characters in costumes, comic book fans would have ate it up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and giving them superpowers. Because basically, that's that's what the CW is soap opera with superpowers. Yeah. And really, that's all it is. And you'll have, oh, no, it's not. It's more than that. It's a, no, it's not, <laughs> really. It's soap operas with superpowers. Exactly. It's, pe- it's people navigating their personal relationships with their families and loved ones while trying to save the world from mm-hmm. the latest supervillain of the week. That, yeah. That's all you throw into the mix. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. Now, you, you got to give them a a hat tip for just how much they were able to accomplish with this crossover because they've, you know, it's been an annual thing. Every year they do a crossover episode and it's, it started out small, right? You had the flash and green arrow crossover and then they brought in, uh, the legends into the year after that. And then when Supergirl came into the mix, they had the alien invasion. And then last year they brought in, they made it even a larger thing with the else worlds. And then I remember last year when they had a teaser, 
you know, next year, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And every, and they've been teasing it ever since the first season of The Flash because there was that newspaper article, you know, The Flash Missing Vanishes in Crisis. The first, the very first episode of yeah. The Flash, they had him find that newspaper. So they've been leaning up to the crisis ever since then. And I just want to say this and get this out the way <clears throat> before I forget. Because I've been reading a lot of stuff in Facebook and, you know, elsewhere. And I don't even know why I bother with these idiots because, you know, <laughs> they say, well, um, you know, the crisis is not as good as Avengers Endgame because they didn't spend as much money on it. And the special effects one is good. If that is if that is what you think, and I'm not talking to you, Perry, I'm talking mm-hmm. to those other people out there. If that's what you think, that. The Crisis on Infinite Earth isn't as good as Avengers Endgame because they didn't spend as much money on it. You're an idiot. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. It's Derek Ferguson saying, calling you an idiot (laughs) because, because, yes, we started the year with Avengers Endgame. And to me, it's kind of fitting that we ended the year with Crisis on Infinite Earth Mm -hmm. because it's just as good. It is. Well, I mean, I, I... I'm going to say that I think Endgame is better, but not because of the money, but just because of the story and just like how much has gone into it, how emotional it was. Now, that's that's not saying Crisis is bad. Crisis is, is really good. It's awesome. But I mean... No, Endgame was more emotional. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Endgame was more emotional, but Crisis spent, what, like eight years mm-hmm. that we've been watching all these various things? Yeah. So they took the same time over eight years to build up to this that uh, Disney Marvel took 10 years and 22 movies. Mm -hmm. You know, so they did the same thing. And I think that they should be respected. I think so too, definitely. And you you know know what? what And talking about the budget and the special effects and all that, you know, the CW, they didn't spend as much as a movie studio. I mean, they they can't. Let's let's be honest here. They can't spend as much. No. Uh, so I mean, you work with what you have, but it, that doesn't mean it looks cheap or anything like that. I mean, they they they're. It, look, if you told me twenty years ago that we'd have a superhero universe on live action TV, I would have said it can it can't be done because you know we had superhero TV shows in the nineties, we had them in the in the seventies and the eighties. And they all, there was all, even if the stories were good, there was always this kind of like cheap factor to them. Like Lois and Clark, right? It, there was a cheapness right. to it. There was a cheesiness to it. Like he, he didn't even wear a real belt. The belt was made of cloth, right? So there was always this kind of like cheesy elements to it that just, and, but they do a pretty damn good job with what they have. They stretch their budgets really well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? They like you said they spent what like eight years building this up, and they didn't have the budget of say Justice League, but this thing blows Justice League out of the water. And something else that they did that people don't appreciate, but I do, they didn't do what you know like okay, other people do when they make like a new version of a superhero show or. <laughs> Uh, a, a new character or whatever that we're supposed to pretend like okay well the version that came before that's invalid or doesn't exist uh-huh. Crisis validated every single superhero show and movie that they've done everything 
everything. They had Burt Ward, for God's sake. Yeah. To establish that, yeah, okay, the Batman TV show, 1966, that existed. They had the, 19, the, the 1989 Birds of Prey TV Batman show. That, yeah, the, the t- Birds of Prey TV show, which lasted like nine episodes before it got canceled because it was so that terrible. That existed. Yeah. yeah. That existed. And you know what? If Dean Cain hadn't gone nuts, I, I know they probably would have had a Lois and Clark scene in there, too. Yeah, but Dean K. Well, we're not going to talk about <laughs> yeah. him. I'm, it, I'm, it's sad what happened to that Superman. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I've seen him on Fox. It's oh. sad what happened. To that. It's sad what happened to him. Uh, but well, I mean, they, but I, but yeah, I mean, they had brought in Kevin Conroy playing Batman in live Kevin action for Conroy, the first time. For God's sake, playing, you know, playing the Dark Knight from Kingdom Come. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting because they weave so many things together in this. Oh, and, you know, speaking of Justice League, there was that surprise cameo nobody was expecting, right? They brought in Ezra Miller as the Flash. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, in know, other words, so in other words, they validated the Justice League movie. They said, okay. To me, that was remarkable what they did because they said to all of the fans, you know what? No matter what you love, mm-hmm. it exists. We'll let you know it exists. The only two, there's only two things that, well, they didn't have the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Yeah, that that was a that was a, an obvious omission, which makes me think. And I and I have no way of knowing, folks. I have no inside information, but I'm just wondering if there's some bad blood between Linda Carter and you know Warner Brothers because every time she has opportunity to appear as Wonder Woman, she she was supposed to be in the first movie, but she didn't do it because of quote unquote scheduling. Okay. And and every time that they give her opportunity to appear as Wonder Woman. You know, she always says she can't do it because of scheduling. Well, you know, which, she, she, because she appeared in Supergirl, I think it was season two. She was the yeah. president. Right. So I wonder if maybe it's not something with Warner Brothers or if it's just something about playing Wonder Woman again. Yeah, yeah. This is some, because you know what? Because they even use archival footage from old. You know, uh, shows that they had, like they use uh, footage from the uh, from the original Flash TV series. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, well, I'm saying, well, how come they couldn't use archival footage from you know the Wonder Woman? <laughs> you know what the series? nice thing and about that that use of the Flash footage is it kind of closes this circle when um, yeah back in way yeah. back in the well also not only with the 90s TV show, but also with the, the new TV show, because if you remember in um, in season one, right, when, because um, the, uh, I can't remember who, who she, I don't know who she, I don't, I, it's been, I've only seen like two episodes of the 90s show, and it was, and I was like in elementary school when I did, so I don't really remember, but um, the actress, who was his love interest in the TV show. She appeared in the first okay. season of The Flash as a scientist. Like, Dr. McGee, I think, was her name or something yeah, like I that. Remember, yeah, I don't know her name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And then, at the end of the season, when um, um, Henry gets out of prison, you know, played by um, John Wesley Shipp, 
John Woodsy's ship. You know, yeah. there's this scene where where him and Dr. McGee are sitting there talking and they're kind of flirting with each other. And, you know, Barry comment Barry and um, Joe are kind of commenting how like, well, it looks like your dad's having met a new friend, right? And then they and you know, then and nothing ever comes of that. But then in this, you know, it kind of circles back because you've got that scene from the archival footage with the two with those two actors again. Yeah. Yeah, and and okay, you had the coolness factor, of course, of John Wesley's ship. He's playing, and they have that scene where he's on the treadmill, and he's obviously playing the Flash from that earlier TV series. Yeah. And then we have to talk about we have to do it because I want to get all my gushing out. All right, Brandon Ralph playing Superman again. Oh my God! Like Folks, ever right since now, we saw that first image, I Folks, mean, right now you can't see it, but I'm standing up. I'm the floor. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and it. I don't know where to begin. I mean, it. It was just everything about that sequence was so perfect. You know. Being a comic book fan, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, which is why I don't go with a lot of people bitching and moaning and whining and complaining about uh, superhero movies and TV shows now, because for me, this is what I've wanted to see ever since I was 12 years old. To see Brandon Ralph get to put the suit back on again. Mm -hmm. And like you said, he did not hit a wrong note anywhere. Yeah. And oh and man, that's I, I didn't know what to expect going in because you know they had said he's playing Kingdom Come Superman, and they showed him in the <laughs> costume, right? He's got the the gray in his hair, but he's not really just Kingdom Come Superman. No, he's not. I mean, they reference so many different things in there, right? He talks about how um, uh, the Tyler Hoechlin Superman. They've got they've got him and his Lois. They've got uh, a kid, you know, um, John. Jonathan. And when Brandon Routh looks at him for the first time, Brandon Routh Superman, he says, oh, he looks, he reminds me a lot of my son, Jason, who was the name of his son from Superman Returns. Yeah. And then they also, yeah, they like, when, after the fight between him and Tyler Hoechlin at the Daily Planet, you know, he says, you know, believe it or not, it's not the first time I've gone crazy and fought myself. Right? That that was Superman yeah, 3, yeah. which is funny because Superman Returns was supposed to retcon Superman 3. Well, ever going well, we talked about this uh in another episode where we had the thing where when Supergirl when she meets mm -hmm. Ray Palmer for the first time, she says, "You look a lot like my cousin." Well, yeah, it was Ray Palmer who said that about her. He's, he's like, "Wow, she reminds me a lot of my cousin." Yeah, right. You know, so yeah, so when we finally see him as Superman, it, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that he references, you know, all different ages of Superman and mm -hmm. whatnot. But, I mean... Well, I mean, remember the um, how, how everybody, all his friends died, right? Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, right? He says, you know, the... the he said it was the guy from Gotham, meaning the Joker. And they have that, the newspaper article framed. That was from the Injustice video game. From the Injustice video game, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot of different uh, incarnations of Superman that he's embodying in this. And I can't help but think that they said, you know what, 
we're going to give this guy his due, which he should have had, and let him, like, in a way, be all Superman. Yeah. And you know what? Because they... I am so excited about the Superman and Lois TV show with uh, Tyler Hoechlin. I think he does a great job. Um, I can't remember the name of the actress who plays Lois. Um, do you do you know what do you know what her name is? Uh, no, I don't because actually, since I haven't been keeping up with the CW show, that's the first time I actually saw her. Oh, okay. So you didn't you didn't watch the Elseworlds crossover last year then? No, no, I haven't seen the other. But, okay, but that's something else that I wanted to reference, too. That even though, because I know people have been asking me, they said, well, you know, I haven't been watching Flash. I haven't been watching Arrow. I said, it doesn't matter. You can watch this. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen, um, like, I, I've, I've watched The Flash leading up to it. but that And I've watched most of Arrow leading up to it. Elizabeth Tullock, that's her name. So, but the thing about Crisis is that it's very accessible. Even if you haven't been keeping up with like Arrow or Flash or or even Black Lightning, right? Because they, they finally bring, bring him. In. They finally bring him in. They bring him in. Even if you haven't been keeping up, with that, you know what? This is very accessible. Yeah, they let you know. Okay, this is who this is. This is who. This is what Earth they're on, mm-hmm. and this is what they do because they have a very nice scene between Black Lightning and The Flash, where they introduce each other and they tell each other their oh, real there, names. There are two great they, scenes there. Like, there's the one where they first meet, right? And, uh-huh. and you know, Barry's trying to talk him down and everything, but then, yeah, when they're on the Wave Rider together. I mean, that, yeah. was, that was such a great scene. Like, both both of those guys, Cress Williams and um, uh, Grant Gustin, man, they're bringing their all in that scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a... And, and you kind of get the sense that the same kind of bonding that uh, the Flash had with Green Arrow, mm-hmm. he's going to have with Black Lightning. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling that I kind of got. Because I kind of got that same vibe in that scene. That, <laughs> Speaking you know, of, um, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I saw this on Facebook yesterday. They had, um, there was a picture of Grant Gustin you know, posing at Oliver Queen's grave with like a thumbs up and the caption read, you know, when your best friend dies, but you still remember when he shot you in the back with two arrows. <laughs> but so, you know what? That's another thing that I like about this whole Arrowverse because that you get the feeling that these people really did like each other in real life and yeah. you couldn't help but translate into their performances. Oh, absolutely. Because you you know, because I mean, the performances and all this is good. I mean, and getting back to Brandon Ralph, I mean, I couldn't love him more. I, I mean, I, I was at home watching it, and when they gave him the flyby, yes, I stood up and cheered. Oh my God! When and they, they gave it, they and they gave the, cat a, the the Christopher Reeve flyby. They said, "You can do it, bro." Yeah. And he was he was in the Kingdom Come suit, but it had been changed. So now the black was gold instead. It was which is which is why I can't help help but think because they did establish that there are some other Earths out yeah. there now. You know, yeah. it's not a whole big multiverse, but there's some other Earth, and he's on his own Earth. And like you said, they had changed. It wasn't black; mm-hmm. it was you know gold and what which. I can't help but think that they got plans for him. I know because they've got they've got this Superman TV show coming out, so I think they're going to have something, you know, with him interacting on occasion with Tyler Hoechlin's Superman and Elizabeth Tullock's Lois Lane, which 
you know, by the way, I got to say, I loved how they interacted, right? Because there wasn't any sort of, like, jealousy or anything like that, right? None of that, none of that bullshit that you get in a lesser show, right? They, they're both, you know, they, they acknowledge, you know, yeah, we're the same guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're Superman, you know. And, you know, you I mean, there's sh- nothing like Brandon Routh Superman being jealous because Tyler Hoechlin Superman still has his lowest lane or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, you know, he recognizes that, hey, you know, you're you and I'm me. This is what happened. And it, it's just, I don't know. I'm just, see, because I'm one of those people that I always felt that Brandon Routh never got a fair break. Agreed. In Superman Return, he never got a fair break because you could see flashes of what he could have been in that movie if he had been allowed to play Superman the way he wanted. And they did give him the opportunity in this crossover. And I can't help but think that they just say, you know what? Do you. Yeah. You know, just do so. You know what? You want to do Superman? You do Superman the way you want to do well, Superman. One of the things I always wanted to see more of. Um, based on the brief flashes we got of it in Superman Returns was how he would play Clark Kent. Because the way he does it in Superman Returns, right, he he doesn't play it at all the same way Reeve did, which, you know, we talked about this when we talked about Superman the movie. There's a lot of good in Reeve's performance, but sometimes his Clark got a little bit too over the top. Yeah. But Ralph... A little bit too, a little bit too bumbly. Right. Ralph goes the opposite direction, right? He plays him as the ultimate wallflower, where it's like you don't even notice he's there, which I think is perfect for Clark Kent, because you're not going to remember that guy's... You might remember the guy's face if he's tripping over everything and dropping things every five seconds, but you're not going to remember his face if he's just like that guy who works at the planet that you that you kind of bump into every now and then. Right, because... It, because Clark Kent is supposed to be the type of guy when he goes and he disappears and he's got to fly away like if he's in the Daily Planet and he's in the newsroom and they hear about there's a tsunami on the other side of the world and everybody's looking and they're watching the TV screen and everything like that. And then all of a sudden they see Superman. He's rescuing people from the tsunami. You'll always see Lois Lane turn around and say, well, where's Clark? Yeah. You know, because they don't even know he's gone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They don't even know he's going, you know, he because as you say, he's a wallflower. He's mm-hmm. got us in the back room. You know, you don't notice he's going. Well, he said, well, I got to go to the storeroom to get some pencils. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah, Clark. OK, fine. Whatever. Goodbye. And, you know, they don't even notice. And they're looking on TV and Superman is saving people. And they said, well, where's Clark? Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Or maybe he's not even where's Clark, to- just where's that guy with the glasses? <laughs> yeah. So, um... And I also loved how they work in the fact that it's Brandon Routh playing super playing this Superman and also playing the Adam. Right? When they meet him, they're yeah. just like, he looks just like Ray Palmer. <laughs> and no, they did not shy away from it. No, no. You know, they just said it right up front. They said, Well, wow, you you know what? You look like Ray Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Right? And they, he comes back and they look at him like, Wow, Ray, you're looking jacked. And it's like, that's not Ray Palmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, was, Which I no, some which I think is the way to go with <clears throat> something like this, and I appreciate the fact that they did not. And I don't know, you know what? I am. I understand that sometimes you will have like certain characters 
uh, that are dark and and don't lend themselves to humor. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of people they say, well, they don't think superheroes should be funny or or dark and everything like that. But I do appreciate the fact that in between all of this thing with all of the universes dying, that there was still some room for humor. Yeah. And the writers of this, you know, um, and all of the, and all of the actors and everybody that was involved in this thing appreciate the fact that yeah, even though which is a lot of what uh, shows like um, what am I thinking of? Mash. Mm-hmm. Mash is based around the whole thing that people are are doing comedy and having fun while people are dying around them, but they're doing it as a way of coping right, with the exactly. fact that there are people dying around them. Well, I mean, you know, just for, I, even beyond that, like, it, yeah, obviously it's human nature to, like, you know, you talk to people who deal with death. They've got the darkest gallows humor you'll ever find. Yeah, yeah, but it's their way of dealing with exactly. it, which is why I appreciate it in Crisis, that, yeah, they made time for humor in between. Yes, there are universes that's dying. There's billions of people that are being wiped out of existence. But, yeah, there is still time for you. They have a scene where all of the girls, they stop and they have a drink. Yeah. Simply, you know, simply because they got to take a break from this, mm-hmm. you know, and but, just and take that, a moment. But not beyond the human part, that's also the audience needs that too because you can't yeah, true i mean if you keep adding the tension you keep turn turn cranking the tension 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 eventually it's going to break right you got to have something to break that tension you cannot be relentlessly dark all the time which is why uh it kind of worries me that people that need their entertainment to be so dark and miserable what is it about you that you need for your entertainment to be to be so dark and miserable like people mm-hmm. will actually say well uh so and so i love you know whatever show it is but it's not dark enough what do you mean it's not dark enough everybody dies in almost every episode yeah. you know they just keep needing it to be darker and more miserable and no i mean you need the light to balance out the darkness right you know, in other words, and that's what they had in Crisis. Yes, it was a. They had very dark moments. Well, I mean, they, had- I mean, you talk about something like you know, The Dark Knight, which you know, it's been called a really dark movie, but there are moments of levity in that. There are moments when Alfred and Bruce are making jokes. Um, yeah. Logan, right? Logan was a really dark movie, but they had moments of levity in it. Well, of course, because you need that, because that's also human, because we tend to make jokes even when we're in the blackest of situations. You know what? I've been to funerals. I've been to funerals that were hilarious. Yeah. You know what? People were cracking jokes and they were doing that simply as a way to deal with the darkness of the situation that we're here to celebrate somebody, oh, you know, you know, that died. You, you know almost, but people were, like two years know, ago, I had, I had my, my father's funeral. I gave the eulogy there. I had everybody laughing. I had the whole, yeah. I had the whole crowd of people laughing their asses off. Yeah. My grandfather, my uh, mother's father, his funeral was one of the funniest things I've ever been. It was like a Richard Pryor concert where mm-hmm. people were getting up and telling stories about him. Yeah. You know, that's just human nature. No, everything does not 
have to be so unrelenting, grim, and dark all the time. And if that's what you need in your entertainment, hey, well, fine, that's you. Mm-hmm. Me, I prefer to have a nice little balance. And that's what I got in Crisis. Yes, yeah. we did have our dark moments, but we had, like, at the end scene, we're... We get the Hall of Justice. Yes. For, finally. And the, finally. And, they, we get, and we get the Justice League. Yeah, because they've been teasing that Hall of Justice ever since Invasion. Yeah. And they so finally that, did but then, Yeah. But then the last scene we get is what we get. It's the cage with Gleek. Yes. It's open. <laughs> <laughs> and we get the, the Super Friends theme playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which to me, I said, you know what? They couldn't have ended it on a more, you know, that was the perfect note to end it on. Yeah, and they did what Crisis did too, right? You know, because at the end of Crisis, they merged together the world and they created a new Earth. And that's what they did here. So finally, all these Earths are now together. We don't have to worry about jumping back and forth. All of it's now together. Superman has always existed in the history of the Flash TV show. And... Oh, speaking of, like one of my favorite moments was when Black Lightning arrives on the Wave Rider and he meets everyone else, and he finds out that Superman is not only real, but there are two of them. Yeah, he's like, he said, "Do you know this super? You know Superman is real?" Yeah. <laughs> now, okay, there's one thing I wanted to ask you. Be mm-hmm. always asking me. I'm glad I'm able to ask you something because two of your favorite characters showed up in crisis that I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. John Constantine and Lucifer. Yes. Oh my god, that was one of my favorite moments. I mean, they there was a rumor floating around on Twitter and everywhere that um, Tom Ellis was on the set of Crisis. So everybody was kind of wondering, is are they really going to have Lucifer in there? Are they or is it just going to be like kind of like a wink and a nod cameo? But they went full out, brought him to Earth 666. Yeah, yeah Earth 666. <laughs> and then most you, appropriate. And it's just a short scene, right? They just they show up to Lucifer and they need to fi- have a way to get into purgatory. But like in that short scene, Matt Smith and Tom Ellis, like the way they play off each other was so great. And well, what did you think of that? Because I know you've never seen Lucifer, right? I've never seen Lucifer. I But I did appreciate the fact they had John Constantine on here because this guy's been bouncing around from one network to another. Mm hmm. Playing John Constantine, and you know what? In animated movies stepped, too. In animated movies he too. Ne- he never set so foot wrong. Yeah. You know, this is the same guy. No matter what network he's on or what show he's on, it's the same guy. Yeah. You know, and I think that he, I think the strength of him playing John Constantine is that he plays him like that. You know, that what, no matter what I kind of like too at, about that scene is how it it's not stated directly, but it's kind of implied. Like there's one John Constantine in the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only one John Constantine, which which is a notion that I like. Yeah, it should be like certain characters. I think there should be only one version of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, the, the the thought that there's one John and you get the feeling that of course he knows about the multiverse. Oh yeah, because already. he he t- yeah. he has history with Lucifer, right? He says, you know, yeah. you know, uh, you owe me for that thing with Maze, who's uh, Luc- one of Lucifer's friends. Uh huh. And so you know, th- so this is all like not really freaking him out because he knows about it already. Yeah. But yeah, that. That scene was great. Like it was, it was so awesome seeing the two of them together and just 
watching them riff off each other. Also, I love the little reference when, at the end before they leave. Lucifer says, you know, uh, he calls him John Constantine instead of John Constantine because, you know, the British pronunciation of it is Constantine. That's how the, the name is supposed to be pronounced. But whenever, oh, it's, whenever okay. it's been adapted, they've gone with the American pronunciation of Constantine. Oh, you know what? I was wondering why, why that was a thing that they threw in there. And I said, well, I'm sure somebody will explain to me. Okay, cool. Yeah. But see, that's one of the things I love about this. If you get it, fine. But if mm -hmm. you don't, it doesn't spoil your overall enjoyment of what's going on. Yeah. Now, you know, there is a downside or a, a bit of a downer point about the Lucifer um, Constantine scene. And that's that it was so good. Right. Because and afterwards, you know, it started going around like. Warner Brothers was pitched on like a a TV movie or something where Lucifer and John Constantine team up, right? Just like a TV okay. special, a TV something like that, right? Just a done in one thing. Yeah. Tom Ellis wants to do it. Matt Smith wants to do it. The fans want to see that. The fans will probably pay for that if you put it on a <laughs> streaming service. And Warner Brothers is just like, no, we don't want money. <laughs> Really? Why? Why wouldn't you do that? It's a no-brainer. Yeah. I mean, Warner Brothers they, has this has this way of just like, oh, here's a nice gun. I think I'll see what it's like to shoot myself in the foot with it. <laughs> that's a good thing. I like. Wow, that's damn. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, that's like a no. If the actors want to do it and the fans want to see it, you know, why would you leave money on the table like that? Yeah, I mean, why? Why haven't they given brought back Constantine on DC Universe by now? Yeah, I mean, you know what? Because I'm not as big a Constantine fan as as you and some of uh, uh, my other friends. But you know, so what I've seen on this guy on TV, I like him. Yeah. This guy, yeah. And his show was great. It was, you know, cut short. It was only ended up lasting like nine episodes. Um, But yeah, I mean, they, there's no reason they shouldn't have brought it in. Um, yeah, which, which I don't <laughs> understand why the CW just doesn't have a Constantine show yeah. to explore, like you said, the magical side. Mm -hmm. of, you know, the DC universe. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we, I could, we could bet, we could, we could spend like a hundred years trying to figure out why WB does the stupid shit they do. And we would never come close to finding an answer. And we should also mention that they do establish that the uh, shows that they have on, uh, no, the streaming service, DC Universe, like Titans. Yes, I was going to mention uh, that. Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing, they also exist in this. They, they acknowledge, yeah, this is all part of it, too. Oh, um, so speaking of going back to Constantine, just real quick, because you didn't see sure. the show. So um, Jim Corrigan, right? That actor who played Jim Corrigan, the Spectre, he appeared in Constantine first as. And he died at and he died at the end of an ep of the episode, and there was a hint that he would become the Spectre later on. So they pick up oh. on that. They pick up on that from the Constantine TV show. Wow. Okay. Cool. See, you know what? That's what I really liked about th this whole crisis thing. They brought back everybody. They said, yeah. "Listen, you want to be a part of this? We're not leaving anybody out. If you were at all any part of." 
this whole, uh, you know, DC universe, we're going to give you a small part and we're going to acknowledge you and we're going to let you have your moment to shine. Robert Which Wolf. everybody did. Robert Wolf from Batman playing Alexander Knox, right? They, he's in the yeah. opening and he's looking up in the sky and there's the bat signal. And they had the music. Yeah. And he looks up at us. Oh my God, Alexander Knox, who we haven't seen in forty years. And I don't know. You know. If, I don't know where it appeared in the in the show, but before the before Crisis aired, there was a there was an image of a newspaper article with uh, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton's photo, and it said like you know Bruce Wayne to marry Selena Kyle. Well, I think that's supposed to be the newspaper that Alexander Knox is holding. Oh, okay, okay. I think I I don't know, but I think that yeah, I know what you're talking about. But I think that's the newspaper because when we see him, he sit. Don't ask me why Alexander Knox is sitting on a bench in the middle of the <laughs> night reading a newspaper. You know. But well, I mean, it's it's but, it's a Tim it's the Tim Burton verse. It's always night. Yeah, it's so, actually like five. It's actually like noon there. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that's supposed to be the newspaper that he's holding mm-hmm. that announces. Yeah, and it's got Michael Keaton's you know picture on there. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, to me, that's the one thing that I love that they acknowledge. They said, okay, no matter what DC show you've seen, or even the cartoons, mm-hmm. since we got Gleek and, you know, and the Super Friend, no matter what you see, it exists somewhere yeah. out there. We're not saying that it don't exist and it's not valid. And you know what? It's funny because this was, you know, back in the mid 90s, I think it was. This was the idea that Grant Morrison and Mark Wade had for DC Comics to explain the multiverse, right? To explain the timelines. Their they went their idea of hypertime was basically it's all real. Everything from all the different adaptations, all of it exists in the same universe. And it's kind of nice to see their idea finally be acknowledged because DC said no, we're not going to do that back in the day. And can I put forth my vote hoping that from now on we will see every time they have a crossover that we will see Marv Wolfman appear. Oh, that was such a great moment. Oh, that was so much fun. When he just runs in and he says, oh, could you sign my book? He's like, <laughs> he's like, and they look at him and say, oh, you know? He said, yeah, y'all been together forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'd laugh so hard when he said, oh, y'all, yeah, y'all guys been together forever. You know, one thing I, I was surprised, though, and, like, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was at some point in one of the shows a reference to the Psycho Pirate. But he doesn't appear at all in this at all. I don't, I, he didn't appear at all in Crisis. That was a little bit... No, no, he didn't. Which is one thing that I always loved about the original, you know, the comic book, in that the Psycho Pirate, out of all people in the... He was the only one that remembered the multiverse. And John Constantine. And John Constantine. Because John John (laughs) Constantine... Yeah, but John Constantine is not going to tell. Right. And he's not going to be driven crazy by it. Right. You know? Yeah, that's the thing. The Psycho Pirate was driven crazy by what he knew. Yeah, exactly. He was, you know, and he was the only one that knew that. Whereas in this version, we got the Martian Manhunter. He goes around to everybody and he imbues the memory of what went on so that, you know, all of the legends, uh, all of the legends and the members of the Justice League, they remember the multiverse. Yeah. Which I thought was a. 
I thought was a neat little twist because I wasn't sure if they were going to go the the route of the crisis where, you know, people have some vague recollection that something happened, but they don't remember the multiverse before, which is how it is for everybody else. But so I was I was kind of surprised that they decided to give that knowledge to the to the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was me, I would have went with like nobody remembers except yeah. for, like you said. Like John, like maybe people like John Constantine and John Jones, you know, the right. Martian man. Maybe they remember it, but I would have just had everybody just assume it. But yeah, but he gives his memory to everybody. So now we have all of the major superheroes. They know about the multiverse. Yeah. And Lex Luthor is apparently um, ingratiated himself. Right. He's apparently gotten redeemed, which I think is definitely going to be a big point in the Superman and Lois show. Which is, is another thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, because I don't know. Everybody seems to love John Cryer as Lex Luthor. To me, it seems to me that he's just doing, uh, you know, Gene Hackman. You know you what? Know, maybe it's just. Well, when I when I saw him on Supergirl, I, I had the exact same reaction. I didn't really care much for him on, when he was on Supergirl. I kind of warmed to him a little bit more in this. Um I think I think he's he stepped up his performance a bit. But but yeah, I mean, I. He's still not, I don't know. Ho- I'm hoping he, it gets better because, you know, he's already improved in my eyes at least a little bit from Supergirl to Crisis. So hopefully that continues, but we'll have to see. And I think he's doing Gene Hackman because he actually did work with Gene Hackman because he played Lex Luthor's nephew in one of the Superman movies. Oh, okay. And he was also, yeah, he- um, he's also apparently a big f- comic fan too, so... Yeah, in uh, I believe it was in Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. He played Lenny Luther. Yeah, yeah. Was like you know, and he like took the place of like Otis mm-hmm. when now he was you know the bumbling henchman. So when I you know when I saw him playing Lex Luthor and I was watching, I said, okay, well he's doing Hackman. Yeah, yeah. You know, although uh, although I do think that you're right that in crisis he's kind of like stepped up his game and he's kind of like establishing his own Lex Luthor kind of yeah and you know um, another thing I want to ask you oh I love this episode because I'm going to ask you stuff for a change (laughs) only because I know you were such a big fan of this show I didn't follow it as much as you did Mm -hmm. but how did you like the resolution of uh, the Smallville version of Clark Kent Superman well see I I didn't really I wasn't I wasn't a Smallville fan. So like I I loved it at first. Like the first four seasons were great. But after that it really started to go downhill and then I just kind of like hate watched it cuz it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it became this thing because you know some they would jump the shark several times in a season. And sometimes they would do it multiple times in one episode. So I kept watching just for that. Oh um, okay. And I mean you know, that and, and Michael Rosenbaum. Is lo- Michael Rosenbaum was actually the reason I stayed around for as long as I did. Um, because- well, that's what a lot of people, yeah. Well, that's what a lot of people tell me. They said that they, you know, they stuck around, you know, for him, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah. I mean, his, his Lex Luthor, hands down, my favorite take on the character. I mean, I, I so, when they, when they were talking about bringing Lex Luthor into this universe, I so hoped they would try to get Rosenbaum back. But, and he was asked if he wanted to appear in in Crisis, but it was apparently just a small cameo, and um, and he turned it down because he said like you know what they were offering, what they wanted. He's like, I didn't feel it really did enough justice to the character. Okay, 
Which is, it's too bad. Would have been nice to see him back. But, so all that said, like, I didn't... Because, you know, Tom Welling has, like, an allergy to wearing that suit. Like, even, yeah. in, even in the last scene when he finally opens his shirt and there's the suit underneath, like, apparently that was CG. Because he wouldn't wear the damn thing. <laughs> but um, I think it was it was nice that they had this little resolution, and it's like, you know, he gave up his power so he could be a dad. I mean, it was... It was and the, the, the moments with him and... Um, and Lex were also pretty cool. And also seeing Erica Durant's back as Lois Lane. So it was a nice scene. I really liked it. But it it wasn't anything. It was maybe a bit longer than I think it needed to be. But one thing I will say that I did like a lot is um, when Elizabeth Tullock's Lois Lane, you know, she sees Brandon Routh's Superman, all super buff. She sees... Um, uh, Tom Welling's Clark Kent, all super buff. And then you've got Tyler Hoechlin, who's much more lean, right? He's always, like, given, like, these second glances at them. Did you, <laughs> I say, hey, yeah, hey, did you, you know, pick up hey, on that? Yeah, you know, hey, you know, that's what you could have been, you know. And each time, like, Clark gives her this look, like, really? Come on. <laughs> I wasn't, a, you know, I see, I'm like you, I'm... I, Okay, I never was a big fan of Smallville. I think I watched it like regularly for like the first two seasons. And then after that, I just watched it on and off. Mm -hmm. But I think that as a resolution to that whole universe, that worked. Because since that was since Tom Welling was playing a Superman, didn't want to be Superman anyway. Mm -hmm. The fact that he gave up his powers just to be a regular guy. Yeah. And, you know, I said, you know what? That works for me. Yeah. Same here. And and I also appreciate the fact, like they did, that they gave a closure to that particular series. In yeah. that, you know, it's okay. Well, you know what? We're just gonna close this out. And it's, so it's a closure that fits a lot better than the actual Smallville finale did. That's what some other people have told me. They said they actually liked that better than the way that it actually ended. Yeah. Yeah, which which again, this is a crossover since they're fixing a lot of things in the various series and universes mm-hmm. that they fixed that. They said, yeah. okay, well, you know what? We're going to fix this and give a satisfying ending. I mean, I had no problem. I mean, I really had no problem with, you know, crisis much like, and I always compare it and people say, and we had talked about this early on in the episode. People say, oh no, well, it was nothing like Endgame. I said, yes, it was. I said, this was a whole lot like <laughs> Avengers Endgame in that it, it provided closure to a lot of things that had been building up in the Arrowverse for eight years. Yeah. And then, of course, after that, we got the last Arrow episode, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, you know, the epilogue to this. Okay. You know, I watched that. I said, yeah, this is kind of like the epilogue. Okay. So you know, I haven't oh, seen right. I haven't seen that Arrow episode yet. Um, so how do you think it works as an epilogue? I think it works fine. Okay. I do. I, you know... It get, you know why? Because, see, me, I do not like, um, okay, you have a lot of shows that have what they call a series finale. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's not really like a finale. It's like they just put the characters in a holding pattern mm-hmm. in case they decide they want to bring the show back in a couple of years or, or have a movie. Right. Or whatever. But... Arrow, yeah, they did provide a closure. And can I say that I think that, you know what, 
What's the name of the guy that plays Oliver Queen? Stephen Amell. Such a ham. This guy got two <laughs> heroic death scenes. <laughs> Not to, he didn't just get one. He got two heroic death scenes. You know. And then in Arrow, he gets another. Well, he doesn't get a death scene, but he gets like a scene. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but mm. if you haven't seen it, well, you need to go watch it. But he gets a scene in the afterlife. Okay. Let me put it that way. Okay. Where, uh, and, and I think that, yeah, it says, okay, this is the end to Oliver Queen's story, which is what I appreciate. If you're going to have a series finale, then have a finale ended. I did okay, think that was that was kind of funny the way they did that, how they said, you know, because they've been building up to the fact that Oliver Queen's going to die in this, right? And yeah. just, just like Tony Stark's going to die in Endgame. We know it, right? And then DC, I, I think what happened is like uh, Greg Berlanti watched Endgame and he's like, you know what? Fuck you. You killed your main hero one time. We're going to kill him twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, killed, they killed him twice. The guy got two, two great deaths. Most actors pray for one great death scene in their career. This cat got two. Yeah. So, yeah, but in Arrow, in the last episode, yeah, they do firmly establish, listen, Oliver Queen is dead, uh-huh. which I don't think I'm spoiling anything about telling anybody because they told you. Yeah, Oliver Queen is dead. Yeah. You know, he's not, which is another thing that I appreciate about uh, superheroes being in movies and in television now, because they give us something that comic books are simply not able to give us. Mm-hmm. They give us a complete end to a story. They show us a superhero when he, uh, okay, like an arrow. We saw Oliver Queen when he becomes Arrow, and you know he starts off as you said earlier. They didn't even call him the Green Arrow. I think it was. Uh, I think it wasn't until like the fifth or sixth season. Well, it was like I think it like season two or season three is when they started calling him Arrow, and then yeah, it wasn't until like season five when finally he became Green Arrow. Right, Green Arrow. But we saw in that whole run of Arrow, we saw the whole career of a superhero from beginning to end. Yeah. And it is, okay, now we're going to somebody else because he passes on the Green Arrow mantle to his daughter. Right. And that's uh, that's that's going to be a backdoor spinoff because that was it was a backdoor spinoff for um, – I don't know if it's actually been ordered to series or not, but they're trying to get a spinoff um, with her. It was like uh, called Green Arrow and the Canaries. See, see me, if I – see, okay, like most comic book fans, I always fantasize about what I would do if I had my own comic book company. If I had my own comic book company, one of my mandates would be that every 10 years, the character has to pass on the identity to somebody else. Uh-huh. He quits or he dies and it goes to somebody else because that's just – you know, you don't go on for 50 years. Right. You know, but because but and I understand because of licensing and copyrights and trademark stuff like that. That's why Bruce Wayne is always going to be Batman. Right. Even though he may give it up for a while, but he's all because they have to do that because they have to preserve the trademark. I understand that. I got no problem with that. Right. But I do appreciate the fact that movies are different and TVs are different. They said, well, you know, so we can do. The story of Oliver Queen in eight seasons and end it and have somebody else be Green Arrow. Well, because they Cause ha- we don't they have- kind of have to because that's that's just the expectations of the audience, right? You get a you get a complete True. series, and so right, exactly. and plus you know the actors got to move on eventually too. So so it's good that they that we've got this venue where we can have that 
that bookend and they can close it off and, you know, leave it there. And then, you know, maybe in 10 years we'll get another Green Arrow, but it, it won't be a continuation of the Stephen Amell version. Right, exactly. And if you want, and if you want to go see that version, you can always go back and watch the show over again. Right, and it's there for other generations to go back and say, okay, well, okay, well, this is the third version of Green Arrow we have on, you know, Netflix or whatever like that. Uh-huh. They can go back and they can see, you know, the Stephen M. Mill version, but. The thing to me is that, you know what, it's a finite story. It doesn't just keep going on and on and on. Like, I mean, really, how many stories now? Okay, we've had Bruce Wayne as Batman for what, like 60 years now? 70, there's literally 75, nothing I think. You can, there's literally nothing you can do now with Batman's Bruce Wayne we have not seen before. Yeah. Seriously, you can't. He's got There's nothing. He's lost his fortune. He's gotten married. He's gotten divorced. He's gotten. He's died like five times at least. Now there is one thing that you can do with Batman and Bruce Wayne it hasn't been done before, but I'm not going to say it in public because I'm saving it for my own original character oh, that okay. I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one thing nobody's ever done with him before. There is. Okay. But well, I, 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 I got to get I got to get that story once we once we wrap up the episode then. Yeah. But yeah. but speaking of Batman, right? Let's talk about Kevin Conroy. Oh. Now I don't know about you, but because I've seen I saw this twice. You know, first in the individual episodes, then I watched it all in one chunk when it was completed. But watching Kevin Conroy as ba- playing Bruce Wayne Batman, it felt so surreal to me because. I do not picture that face with that voice. You've heard that voice, and you have a picture you associate with that voice. Yes. And seeing him, yeah, you don't associate the picture in your mind. You say, wait a minute. And it's kind of like this thing that you got to get. And you say, wait a minute. Because you've heard this voice for, mm. what, 30 years? What, 30 years now? Since the yeah. 1980s? 1990s, We've yeah. We've heard Kevin Conroy. Kevin Conroy's played Batman longer than anybody. Yeah. Period. And when you hear Batman, okay, like, if I was to pick up a Batman comic book right now after we finish and read it, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing Kevin Conroy. Every time. Every time. Every Not even time. consciously trying to. Every time I hear Kevin Conroy. So when you finally see him playing Batman, you say, huh? Wait, (laughs) yeah. So I understand what you're saying. It's like your brain is struggling. Yeah, the the second watch through, I actually had to look down every time he was on screen and just listen. (laughs) Yeah, you're struggling. (laughs) You're just saying, okay, well, the voice is right, Mm -hmm. but... The but the actual physical yeah yeah I know what you mean and you know what's interesting oh. is because just like they did with Brandon Ralph Superman and they mixed together like Superman the movie and Superman Returns with Injustice they also did the same thing with Conroy's Batman right I mean like he's yeah. wearing the exoskeleton from Kingdom Come but uh-huh. there's also a bit of Dark Knight Returns in there there's a bit of Batman versus Superman in there like some of his dialogue is taken directly from BV- BVS yeah. Like when he but talks about how his, I, how he talks about what his parent what Superman's parents did, he's like, "My parents taught me a different lesson." That's straight out of Batman v Superman. 
Well, he had the glasses in there, you know, yeah. the broken pair of glasses, Clark Kent's uh, glasses. Yeah, yeah. You know, because a Batwoman, she sees them and she said, holy shit, you know. Mm-hmm. He kept them as, a, apparently he killed Superman and he kept them as a trophy, you yeah. know. So this is like a really dark version of, you know, Batman. And while I do appreciate that, yeah, they gave Kevin Conroy a chance to play him in live action. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, the dichotomy. Like we said, well, well, wow, you know. And who was the was the, okay? He's, was he's that a, supposed to be ter- Was that supposed to be uh, what's his name? Um, you know, the black guy that was hanging out with him. Yeah, that's um, uh, Luke Fox. Oh, okay. All Lucius's right. son, okay, who in the comics he becomes Batwing. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. I was thinking maybe and, that was supposed to be like a black version of uh, the kid who's in Batman Beyond. Oh, Terry McGinnis. Terry McGinnis. Yeah, I thought maybe that was supposed to be Terry McGinnis. Yeah. No, no. He's Because um, Luke Fox is a supporting character in Batwoman. Right. Oh, oh, okay. So that's why they put him in there. Because, you know, that's why they had that little conversation when she says, oh, he's kind of, Supergirl goes, he's kind of cute. And, and Batgirl says, and Batwoman says, no, that's weird. Yeah, oh, okay. All right. So yeah, that was just a reference to the Batwoman TV show. Now, which 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 also that's something else that I kind of like. I kind of like how they've transferred like the whole world's finest type of thing from mm. Superman and uh Batman to Supergirl and Batwoman. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. You know, they're kind of like the world's finest team now. Yeah. And because, you know, I was suspecting that the they were going to merge the Earths together when last year when they did Elseworlds and they had this they established this rapport between Supergirl and Batwoman but it seemed weird cuz it's you knew where they were going down that world's finest route but it seemed weird that they were doing it at the same time because they still had Supergirl on her own earth but Bat, Batwoman was from the same earth as Arrow and the Flash so that was when I first suspected that when they do Crisis, they're going to bring them all into one Earth so that then they actually can have the Supergirl Batwoman crossover stuff. And it will make and much I more kinda, sense. And know what? I kind of like the whole thing where Supergirl was like kind of overjoyed that now they're on the same Earth. Yeah. I mean, you know, she had that little bit. She had that little bit like she was like, yay! Her and Batwoman are on the same Earth. Now. I mean, <laughs> Melissa Benoist, she's. She's so infectiously cheerful. Oh man, she's go- she is adorable. Oh, you know. I just remember what I wanted to what I wanted to mention before is that I I saw Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and uh, and she has a cameo in that, in the uh-huh. in the rebooted Batman v Superman esque Bluntman v Chronic. Uh, uh-huh. Melissa Benoist plays Jason's character, Jay's character. Really? Yeah, she plays the new Chronic. So they've turned oh, Chronic into a okay. woman. <laughs> and they brought uh, Val Kilmer to play um, Blunt Man. <laughs> oh, Lord, that cat. But it was a fun movie. Like, it was, it's basically Jay and Silent Bob strike back all over again. And it's just like tons of in-jokes from his podcast and everything. So... So if you're not a fan, you're, you'll probably hate it. But if you are a fan, it was just like, you know, two hours of nothing but pure fan service. Oh, well, that's OK. I mean, you know, listen, I've been listen. I love Kevin Smith. Yeah, I do. I love Kevin Smith. He 
I know a lot of people, they, you know, they have the issues with them and, you know, maybe valid or whatever like that. But, you know, to me, the guy's just chill. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's a fanboy. Oh, totally. Yeah. And he's like the yeah. biggest fan. Like he's legit. Like he like he almost never bitches about stuff. Nah, nah. Yeah. And you know what? I like that. I don't like people that bitch and complain and moan and whine. Like I like I even watch the thing because uh, they had the thing. Um, he hosted like the little after show. Yeah. You know, yeah. when they had the crisis. Yeah. You know, and, you know, his love and joy of all of this stuff is so infectious. Yeah. And I know people, they complain and whine about him and everything. And, and to me, my whole thing is, okay, fine. Yeah, but what have you done? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? And he's, and, not only that, but he's not full of himself at all. Like, if there's one, the only thing, like, he ever talks bad about is his own work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If he criticizes anything, he criticizes what he's done. Yeah, and he always but, does it in a way. He's always making fun of himself. So, like, I... But I mean, like, Dogma? Yeah. Dogma is one of the best movies, you know. Oh, Dogma's amazing. I just rewatched that again recently. Oh, and they yeah. do have... Um, Matt Damon comes back for a scene as Loki from Dogma. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and they connect... Yeah, I mean, they that... connect Dogma to the Bourne series. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, now I gotta see this movie. I have to see this now. And he also says, um, he makes a reference because they're like, he's like, I'm Loki. You might remember me. He's like, I know your kids right now are probably saying, that's not Tom Hiddleston. And he's like, no, I'm the real Loki without the fake British accent. <laughs> I'm the real. <laughs> oh, man. They that also do so have a good. reference to um, the Marvel uh, movies because Marvel? they're talking about, because they, ha- they bring back Jason Lee as Brody from Mallrats. Right? Really? Yeah, yeah. And so there's this scene when they're in the shop with uh, Brody, and Brody's explaining to them about remakes, and he's like, "What they do is they take something you loved as a kid, and now they they give it just a little bit of a twist, so that they make you buy the same shit all over again. They're just gonna keep on doing it." And then Jay makes comments like, "Yeah, like how many more Marvel movies do we need?" And Jason Lee's like, "Hey, man, shut the fuck up. Those Marvel movies are like my religion." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it, oh my god! It's great. It, it's it's so much. It's such a fun movie. Oh man! I love. Yeah, yeah. I just. I tell you, I love Kevin. Smith. The the movie that he made where he talks about where uh, he goes through the whole thing where he talks about how he was involved in the writing of a uh, screenplay for a Superman, Superman movie. Lives. Yeah, and he has the meeting with you know John, John Peters. Peter, Peters, and they talk about <laughs> that is Richard Pryor level humor. That is genius. That I is, saw him do that live yeah. actually, because he tells he, he told really? that yeah like he had um because he had retold that story so many different times like I wasn't the one I wasn't at the one where they filmed it, but at um but I saw him at at uh, Wizard World in Chicago like God like fifteen years ago or something like that, and he told the story there, and like that was the first time I had heard it was seeing him do it live. It was amazing. Yeah, because you know what that shit. It's so you can't make that shit like that up. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. Yeah, it's a level of such surrealistic bizarreness mm-hmm. that you know he's not making it up. You, and know, you know, it's that funny when act- they did the, the documentary, the making of Superman Lives, and John Peters responds to that, and he's like, "That never happened. That never happened." And everyone, and you're watching that, and you're looking at John Peters, and you're like, "That guy's full of shit." Yeah, right. Yeah, man. Yeah, you're full of shit. Yeah, that shit happened. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody 
that has talked to John Peters, they said the same thing. They said the cat always wants, for some reason, he wants a giant spider in the movie. Yeah. I love that book. Because in the, he's Wild, like, West, he's in the like, Wild Wild West, he finally got it. Yeah. The door's open. There's the He's like, motherfucker finally got his giant spider. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and everybody says that. They said, but somebody, he's, like, he's obsessed with having a giant spider. <laughs> yeah. I love that part in, oh, in uh, Kevin Smith's story when he's like, you know, yeah, John, he's like, yeah, so John loved you. He likes the script. We want to bring you on. Did he mention the spider? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did he mention the spider? Yeah. It's like, I said, but did he mention the spider? Yeah, he's like, like yeah, he oh, did. He... he told you guys that too. He's like, every day with the fucking spider. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man, <clears throat> hilarious! Uh, okay, so all right, so um, but yeah, and you, I, I just completely lost my train of thought about this. Movie I know, now. I know. We just we we just we, we got to bring this back to our final thoughts. Okay, yeah. so what are your final thoughts as a whole of Crisis on Infinite Earths? Um, overall, you know, just. Very happy, very impressed. It was like you know the CW shows; they they have their ups and downs, but you know what? I love them. They're they're so much fun, and it's um, you know Flash has been my favorite ever since it came out, and it's just so it so embraces like the superhero side of it, and like all the craziness that comes along with it, the multiverses, all that stuff. It just it's not shy about embracing all of it. And I love it about that. And and that's continued on through these other shows to the point where now you've got Legends, which just does not give a shit at all. They're just going to throw... Which is just batshit insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the show they just said, you know what, we're just going to do all the batshit insane yeah. stuff. And, yeah. And, you know. I mean, you want to see... Um, Heatwave writing uh <laughs> writing erotic romances, we're giving you that. You want to see a giant stuffed animal fighting a demon, we're giving you that. You know, it's just like they they don't care. Yeah. Um but yeah, I, I love it. Like it's it's nowhere it's not on the same technical level as Endgame, it's not on the same emotional level, but it it totally works for these shows and and it also opens the door to more stuff because with more so than I think that's one thing where it succeeds where Endgame well Endgame I don't want to say Endgame failed at this just they didn't have a reason to even try but you know Endgame if you stopped the Marvel Cinematic Universe right after Endgame and put it on the shelf it would be fine yeah agreed Agree, yeah, but yeah. If well, they if they never decide to make another movie after Avengers Endgame, that I would be happy. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in there that's left open that you're you're not sure what's going to happen next. I mean, yeah, there's the thing with Thor joining the Gal the Guardians, but that's about it. But yeah. other than that, it's completely it closes out the Marvel Cinematic Universe perfectly. Like they're not going to close it out, and you know, I'm thank God for that, but. But they, it does serve as that. Now, Crisis... But let's say that... Okay, but let's say that you, as a moviegoer, you say, well, you know something? I don't want to go see any more Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. You don't have to. Right, right. It's a perfect have, closure point. Right. You have that perfect closure point, and you can just have those movies, and that, which I guess they're boxing it now, they're calling it the Infinity Saga. Yeah. You can just have that, 
and that's it. You don't have to watch another Marvel movie for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you would you not just, feel like you're missing out on anything. Yeah, you would not feel like you're missing out on anything. Now, no, you would. Crisis does they, – they do something different. They, you know, they close out Arrow and all that and this whole thing with the multiverse. But, but then they – right before the end, they throw the doors right, wide open to something new. And I really like that, that now we're going to have, you know, Superman and the Flash and Black Lightning and Batwoman all in the same universe together. I, I think it, I, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Like, I cannot wait for this season of shows to come to Netflix so that I can just binge them all in one weekend. Because I'm that's I'm going to do it. I know I am. <laughs> Well, you know what? Actually, that's what I was doing. I was waiting until after the season was over, and then I was watching it on Netflix, but I've gotten behind. But after seeing Crisis, this has encouraged me to go back and catch up on what I've been missing. Mm -hmm. You know, so there is that, too, that I think that, and I don't think I'm the only one, that a lot of people, if they've been slacking off on watching the very CW shows, Crisis made me want to go back and catch up on what I, you know, said, well, uh, I don't need to watch this season of The Flash. I don't need to watch this. I don't want. But now I want to go back and I want to, you know, catch up on the yeah. seasons that I'm missing. Yeah. Simply, simply by seeing this because it was so good. And I mean, the execution, the acting. Like you said, uh, yeah, okay. It didn't have a $200 million budget. But mm-hmm. again, this is something that I want to impress upon our listeners. That, okay, you have the comic books. I grew up reading the comic books. and everything, But the comic books have gotten away from what I was reading them for. I was reading them for the stories and the characters. Mm-hmm. It's not about events and and you know, the continuity has to fit, you know, here and there and they got to explain every little thing and we have to retcon this and we have to retcon. The movies and the TV series don't do that. Mm-hmm. They just tell good stories about interesting characters. Yeah. Bingo. Bottom line. That's And that's what people respond to. Really, people don't give two figs about the continuity. You know who cares about that? The nut job fanboys. Right. That, you know, oh, yeah, well, you got a man. Oh, well, what about the continuity? And what about... No, nobody cares about that. Well, I remember yeah. Grant Morrison one time in an interview, he was talking about how, you know, the difference between the way kids perceive the world and the way adults, or the way they perceive fiction. And he's like... um, you know, a kid doesn't wonder how Superman flies. A kid doesn't wonder, you know, how Batman has this big cave under his with filled with all these these gadgets. You know, kids nobody cares who right? fills the air on. Nobody cares who fills the air in the Batmobile's tires. That's exactly what I was getting to. That's exactly what he said. That's the exact example he said. He's like, he's like nobody, nobody, nobody does. He's <laughs> like, that's who does it. Nobody. Kids understand that. They don't care. It just happens. Yeah, why does Superman fly? Because he can. Yeah. It's it's just that simple, folks. Yeah, well, it's the gravitons and it's the lesser gravity. No, Superman flies because Superman can fly. Well, I remember when Period. um when John Byrne rebooted Superman. Like he was there he did all this talk about how, you know, well, Superman's invulnerability is there's this there's this invisible force field that's just like hovering right above his skin and and just like Yeah. Yeah. Who gives a shit? No, <laughs> nobody cares. No. 
And and they said like yeah, and that force field. That's why his suit is always protected whenever he gets blown up, and but his cape never does, and that's how he can lift things up because the force field like extends, and that's his super. Like, who gives a shit? And that was only an excuse for John Byrne in every issue to draw Superman with a torn cape. Exactly. Yeah. Because he had to because po- he had to point out that well the force field does not extend to Superman's cape. Get the hell out! Nobody, you know what? Nobody cares. Yeah. And really, we got away from that in the comic books, but the movies and the TV shows they realized that people re- basically really don't care about that, and the only ones who care about that is the comic book fans. Who insist that, well, you should care about it. Well, yeah. no, I care about the characters and I care about the stories. Mm-hmm. But that's one well, of the problems with that the because you know, the comic industry, it's kind of in like this self-perpetuating cycle where they want to reach new readers, but they're still beholden to the the fanboys and the direct market. And as long as they're beholden the fanboys in the direct market, they can't appeal to the new readers. They can't do what the TV shows and the movies are doing. So it's this this back and forth that keeps going on, and they can't really break out of that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And you know, and I say that as someone who still reads the comics and still likes a lot of them. So, so I'm not putting down the the comics themselves. I think there's a lot of good stuff going on, but there's still oh yeah yeah there's I mean, still listen. weaknesses there in the industry. As an art form, and, and mind you, when I talk about the comic book industry, I'm talking about the big two, mm-hmm. which is Marvel and DC, which is what most people think of when we talk about, you know, the comic books. They don't realize there's a whole universe of other comic book characters and companies out there that are producing comic books. But we tend to focus on Marvel and DC because they're the big two. And, you know, they produce the characters that most people are familiar with. Even Mm -hmm. people that don't know anything about, you know, the comic books, if you present them, I mean, like, I think that they said that Superman is like one of the three most recognizable fictional characters in the world. Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows Superman. Everybody knows Batman. Yeah. Everybody knows Wonder Woman. Even if you've never... My wife has never read a single Batman comic book, but she knows Batman. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, okay. gram, my grandma knows Superman, right? Yeah, everybody... Right. Everybody knows Superman because they're so recognizable. They're so iconic. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's not because of the minutia about how their powers work. Right. We recognize Superman because of what he represents. Right. He represents the best in humanity. He's an example. Mm-hmm. That's what we that's what we recognize about. It's not about, well, he's got a force field that, that we don't recognize the mind, well, how does Superman fly? We most people, 90, 90% of the world, 99% of the world who knows Superman doesn't recognize him because of that. They recognize him because of why. He stands for what? Truth, justice, and the American way. Yeah. Bottom line. <clears throat> That's Absolutely. why we know Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, these shows, they bring that back. They bring back that like kind of sense of wonder you had when you first started reading those comics. Yeah. And 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 again, like I I still read Marvel, I still read DC, I still love them, but I don't get that same sense of wonder that I get when I watch the movies or the TV shows. When, because when you watch okay, when you're watching the crisis and everything, what is everybody nobody talks about how good an archer Oliver Queen is. They talk about what a good man he is and what he represents, mm-hmm. and why and how he inspired them to be heroes. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, exactly. That's what. 
superheroes do. They inspire people, which is why I always get into an argument about people when they talk about, well, I can't relate to Superman because he's so powerful. I said, well, you're not supposed to relate to him. Right. I said, what are you talking about? No, you relate to Clark Kent. Mm -hmm. Superman is an inspiration. <laughs> Superman is an ideal of what you can be. Well, you know, I mean, superheroes basically, and this is what people got to realize, is that they, they're beyond other stories. And I'm not saying that as in like they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're a different type of story than a regular story. And that's because what we're dealing with here is basically mythology. Yeah. That's what superheroes are. There are modern Greek myths. And, you know, it's like back in the day, people weren't asking why Zeus, tur why turning into a, a, a goose or whatever, or swan or whatever, would make a woman want to have sex with Zeus. They just accepted it. And, and yeah, and people gotta, got, people just gotta accept that. You know, it's this is just this is just our mythology. And yeah, there are some things that are not that don't have to be explained. You just gotta roll with it. Well, see, back then. People didn't have the internet. Mm. <laughs> All the people to complain and talk about, well, we need to explain yeah. why. No, myths are there for a reason. And superheroes are, like you say, quite accurately, superheroes are our modern mythology. We don't have the pantheon of, you know, the gods of Olympus or Asgard, you know, to tell stories about. So we tell stories about these characters who who exemplify what we want to be. Mm -hmm. We all want we all want to think that we're the people that when adversity strikes, we're going to rise up and have a power that's greater in ourselves to meet that challenge. And that's why we love these characters. Right. Why do we love Batman? Batman goes out and beats up bad guys because something bad happened to him when he was a child. Mm -hmm. We all had things happen to us when we was a child that we want to get back at people for, which is basically what Batman is. He's a child getting back at the bad people that hurt him. Yeah. You know, Superman. Superman is the ultimate immigrant story. Right. He's an immigrant that comes to America and he becomes a, our savior. I mean, it, you got stuff from the Ten Commandments and, and Jesus Christ. And everything, but basically, that's what Superman is. He's an immigrant. You know, uh, you have... Wonder Woman, who's what the ultimate female empowerment story. Right. Icon. You know, this is Wonder Woman. She's just as strong and powerful as any man, more powerful than it than any other man. But also she which I don't understand how she beats up people but promotes peace. But hey, we're not here to argue. <laughs> but we're that's it. That's again, that's that. that's how it works, right? You, yeah, you're not supposed works. to ask questions yeah. about it. It's just like how the X-Men are are fighting for acceptance by living in a in a mansion by themselves and never talking to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, some things you just go with. But again, the symbols of what they represent are more powerful than actually what they are in a way. Right. You know, it's the, it's what they represent. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you go too deep into it and if you pick it apart, yeah, you can pick apart anything. Yeah. If you dig enough deep in it. But then again, why should you? Why can't you just accept what this is and just say, OK, this is what this represents. And. I'm either going to take joy in what it represents or I'm going to pick it apart 
until there's nothing left, Mm -hmm. which is what most cynical people do nowadays. Right. You see them on the internet all the time. They pick apart everything until there's nothing left. Exactly. And that's why they have nothing left in their life. Mm -hmm. That's why they're bitter, cynical people. Right. I mean, and you know what? Um, that's what's annoying me when I, when there's talk about like the Joker and getting the Oscar nomination and and you know so many people are getting bent out of shape about this movie and about like superhero movies in general. Just like there's a there's a really famous cartoon where you know one guy is um, really famous comic uh, web comic where one guy is bashing something, the other guy just grabs his lips and says, "Shh, just let people enjoy things." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just basically that's what it comes down to. Just let people enjoy things. Yeah, yeah. You know, let people enjoy what they enjoy. You don't have to challenge people all the time. Oh, you like that? You know, there are plenty of stuff that people like that I don't get. But mm. hey, you know what? If you enjoy, which is why I always tell people that, you know what? I want everybody to see their their favorite superhero on screen. Because yeah. I got to see I got to see my favorite superheroes on screen. I got to see Thor on screen. I got to see Black Panther. So I want, even if I don't like your superhero, I want you to see them on screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's your favorite. Everybody deserves that. Right. I mean, someone, I heard, I remember a conversation I had with someone. They were saying, when they were complaining about, they're, they're, that they're that Matt Reeves is going to do a Batman movie, right? And they're saying, why do we have to have another Batman movie? I'm like, why not? Why not? I mean, I like Batman. A lot of people like Batman. What's the problem with giving him another movie? And yeah, I'm I'm with you. You know what? There's it's not an either or proposition. Like it doesn't mean just because we have a lot of superhero movies doesn't mean we can't get other movies. Just because yeah. we have a lot of Batman movies doesn't mean we can't get a Batwoman TV show. I mean, we just did. Look. Yeah. And, and also for somebody out there, Batwoman is their favorite character. Yeah. And, and I'm glad they got them, it. And I'm glad glad they got that show. For them, I'm glad they got a bat. Supergirl, I never really was crazy about Supergirl until this TV show. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, I, I was I, I was never really a, a, a Green Arrow fan to begin with. Like the show is what got me into the character. Neither was I. You know, I you know, I like Green Arrow, but I, I can't say I was a Green Arrow fan. Mm-hmm. But you know, this show made me look at Green Arrow in a new light. No. Iron Man. Iron Man's a perfect example. Like I, I read a, I, I, I've read the Avengers books since I was in like high school. So when Kurt Busiek and George Perez took it over, and that was my entry point. So I loved the Avengers. I liked Iron Man as an Avenger, but I could never really get into his solo books. But these movies, Iron Man's one of my favorite characters in the movies now. Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy too. Same thing. Bingo. Yeah. So, yeah, um, just let people enjoy things. But um, I think we kind of ranted a little bit <laughs> too much on this anyway. Well, time for us to wrap it up anyway. Yeah. I think we've been going on long enough about hey. it. So uh, so the bottom line is, folks, we love Crisis on Infinite Earths. Absolutely. And if you have not seen it, and, uh, you know, but, if, but you can always go on uh, the CW, you know, the app. Yeah, they have it on the app. They have like the whole thing. You can watch it like it's one long movie. Oh, okay, cool. On the app, yeah, you can watch the whole thing. And then and they also have. I think they also have the um, the Kevin Smith after shows too with that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they yeah. do. Because I watched it today on uh, 
you know, via my Xbox. I watched it on the uh, CW app, which, which also I want to watch after we get finished. I see they have a uh, Deathstroke animated series. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you know who does, does the voice of him in that? I have no idea. So what they call the CW seed? Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they got yeah. Manny Bennett back. I I have no idea, but I just saw it while they had a little commercial for it while I was watching, uh, you know, the crisis today. And I said, oh, shoot. I said, I got to watch that. I said, I had no idea. But apparently they got a lot of stuff that's on the CWC that, you know, I had no idea was on there. Yeah, until- they've also got like because um, they introduced the um, the Freedom Fighters in uh, Crisis on Earth X. Yeah. And and yeah, they've got they've got uh they got their own animated show. They also had um at one point they had um uh a Vixen series as well. You're right. With yeah. the, uh, well, the I, actress I, who played I, her on the TV show, she ends up she voices him. And they also had a John Constantine thing as well. Yeah, I but I'd seen that on YouTube. I you know, I did not know about the CW. Okay. See until I actually like I said I downloaded because I, because you know, for Christmas, my wife surprised me. She got me an Xbox One. Mm. So you know, there's been a lot of things that you know, a lot of apps I've been downloading and I've been watching simply because the ease of access. Now you know, I watch it, you know, with no problem. So I did not know about the CWC. So mm. like I said, I I saw the commercial today for this uh, Destro animated series. So I'm gonna watch that after you and I get through. Okay, <laughs> um, and see what that's like. Uh, oh, so I just looked it up, and it turns out Michael Chiklis did the voice of Deathstroke for that. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. I like him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. One of the one of the few good things about the two Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, yeah. As we said, and sooner or later we'll get around to that. Yeah. But uh, you know. Uh, just let me say briefly that him and Chris Evans, mm. they were the best things about those Fantastic oh, Four yeah. movies because to me, it was obvious they read the comic books. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, next episode, like last time you had a pretty good idea where since it's uh, February and Black History Month, we're going to, we should do a few episodes focusing on black superheroes. And it's right. your pick now. So, which one do you want to go with first? Okay, now I know that everybody is going to be saying, because we hear this from everybody about, oh, Blade, 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 Blade. No, we're not going to do Blade. We're not going to start with Blade. (laughs) We're going to do something. We're going to pick a movie that I actually didn't care for when I first saw it, but I want to watch it again. I want to rewatch it and see how I feel about it now. I want to do Meteor Man, starring Robert Townsend. Okay, I was I was thinking the same thing because um, uh, you know someone posted a review of Meteor Man in our Facebook group. Yeah, uh. and 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 I hadn't seen that movie since I was a kid, so I'm I'm interested to try and find it and have a look, have another look at it. Yeah, I saw it in a matter of fact, I saw that in the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, but I I don't honestly I, I honestly don't think I've seen it since then. And I remember I didn't like it then, but since I'm older now and my attitudes about what he was trying to do, mm. because I remember I didn't like that movie because because I wanted my black heroes to be serious, right? 
and this was like a kind of comedic kind of take on superheroes or, or more satiric. But in any case, I want to watch it again, and I want to see if time has changed my opinion. So, yeah, that's what I want to do next time. I want to do Meteor Man. Okay. And unless I'm mistaken, that really was the first black superhero movie, wasn't it? I I do believe it was. It was okay. the first black superhero movie, yeah. Okay, so that'll be interesting. All right, so um, join us here next time when uh, we talk about Meteor Man. And um, that's all for us. Uh, yeah, check out Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, you know, like Derek said, you can find it on the CW app. And uh, yeah, if you have the CW app, yeah, it's one there. And they have it that you you can watch it as individual episodes or you can watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And also, with the CW app, you know, that's free. So you don't have to subscribe to another streaming service or anything. No, no, no. You don't have to subscribe to it. Yeah, you can download it and you can watch it for free. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, once you're done with that, pop on over to Facebook group, um, Superhero Cinephiles. You know, drop in. Let us know what you think. Uh, Or you can tweet at us or you can um, become a patron and, you know, help give us a little bit of support for the show so uh we got a patreon page uh you can find it patreon.com slash superhero cinephiles um you help us out you know you get a little that helps us keep this show running and helps us keep the lights on yep give us filthy lucra (laughs) all right that's it for now uh we're gonna get on out of here thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time oh thank you very much thank you perry and you guys good night and god bless Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fezleonstudios.com.